everyone. Welcome to episode 123 of Fitness Devil Podcast. Today we've got Erica Suter. She's a Baltimore-based strength and conditioning coach that works with young soccer players, amongst other things. We have a big discussion on early sports specialization, injury prevention, and strength training for young athletes. We get into discussion on what role social media distraction plays with young athletes, and that also extends to you know, adults and people in the fitness industry. And a discussion on why there aren't as many prominent female strength conditioning coaches in the industry, what directions often female coaches are drawn into, why they're probably smarter for doing that, and, uh, and just a whole bunch of other fun. So stay tuned. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fitness Devil Podcast. Uh, I'm Andrew Coates. We rarely introduce ourselves at the start of this, so I'm sure that people coming on. Well, I, think, like, I think now that's like we say rarely, and now it's like every episode we rarely do it. But it's better no, than it's not. like once every ten. So the voice yeah. you're hearing across from me, that's Dean Guido. Yes. Anyway, guys, welcome. But uh, this episode's much more about our guest. So we got Erica Suter on here today. She's a Baltimore-based strength conditioning coach. And she's focused on soccer and young athletes, especially. Uh, and she's also recently gained a lot of attention in our industry because she's been writing fairly prolifically and getting a lot of praise for that writing. And it's on the various topics that she's interested in. We're going to explore that a lot more. But most of all, welcome to the podcast, Erica. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm really excited for this conversation. <laughs> Hopefully you make soccer sound cool. Or <laughs> soccer training sound cool. Not that like it's not cool. It's just I think everyone, when they picture soccer training, it's it's just like shitty. Even though it's not, like I'm sure it's not, but like soccer players are notorious for being like not strong. So yeah, he's, already, he's already pissing her off right away. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, I, I deal with it every day. Um, a lot of soccer players uh, go more towards like the running, the long distance Ooh. training. And that's why I do what I do because the science behind that and the application to the game is it's not correct. So. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you, actually. <laughs> well, I think that's why it's perfect, because like you said, like that is the, I want to say, like the notion that people think, but it's also the, the, the thing a lot of soccer players probably think they need to do. So it'd be kind of cool to put you on to set the record straight, at least from your perspective. Yeah, how, how do you start doing that? How do you start breaking down that misconception with ultimately your, your clientele are younger, but you're really selling to the parents. So how do you convince the parents? Right that they, these kids need strength and conditioning? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's been a long journey. I've been doing this for eight years or more, eight, eight and a half years. And I used to be just a soccer skills trainer, so more of the ball work. And then um, I look back on my career and I started strength and conditioning when I was in middle school. And just to put things in perspective, I saw myself getting faster and stronger and more conditioned for the game. And I not once suffered an ACL injury in high school and in my college and my international career. So um, as I moved away from the skills training, I got certified with my CSCS and started to move into the gym and help soccer players get stronger and more powerful. And as a byproduct, they became more resilient and injury free. So, um, it, I mean, it's a continuous struggle with the soccer community because they think they just have to run and do constant ball work. But, 
um, just having that, that roster of clients for all these years and the proof that it's been working, people just start to follow suit. Just the more you have the proof and, and the more you educate them and have these conversations. There was, I was because you brought up ACL stuff, there was like, I don't want to say the misconception, but there's this idea that, especially with women, it's just the Q angle where like they almost use the Q angle as the, the reason why all these ACL injuries happen. But like, part of it's because the strength conditioning is not there like in the strength portion. Like, right. do you have any thoughts on that stuff? Cause like, I, I know that there's a big argument between that with those worlds right now. Yeah. I mean, the, the Q angle is it, it's anatomy. It's something we can't change, but I don't like when people bring that up because there are so many ways we can reduce that, the chance that ACL happens and it's really just a lack of proper strength and conditioning. So that means building the muscles of the legs, mainly the posterior chain, um, their ability to decelerate and absorb force because a lot of these injuries that are happening in soccer when players are making a quick cut and changing direction and they're non-contact. And if they don't have the stability and the strength to handle that, then yeah, they're going to blow their knee out. I don't care if you have a wider Q angle or you don't, it's going to happen if you're, if you're not strong enough to handle that. Um, and then just like other factors at play, just not enough sleep, um, stress, like the, the nervous system can really impact and be a risk factor for ACL. So we can't ignore all those other variables too, but it's really just a lack of good performance training, especially in maturing kids and growing female athletes. Like it amazes me. Some still do not strength train. <laughs> I guess some of these things are true across male and female athletes. Just maybe traditionally male athletes, it's more acceptable or they're pushed to do strength conditioning earlier. I guess the other thing, and you'll probably agree with the statement outright is that we're seeing kids younger and younger being more specialized in their sports. We've had this conversation with a few, with a few of our guests before, and this seems to be a rampant problem. Uh, why is that the case? And again, how do you convince parents, uh, the people who are the decision makers, the coaches, the team coaches to change their attitudes about this early specialization myth? Right. It's, it's crazy. It's even a debate right now. And I see this on every single podcast. Um, I mean, obviously there's so many sides and case by case scenarios to this, but I saw there's a study out that early specializers have a 400% more chance to get an ACL injury. And that's like, even like a 20% is the crazy number, but 400% is just, that's catastrophic. So it, it makes sense because all these kids are doing is year round soccer. So they're doing the same movements over and over and over again. Um, and most of soccer movements are very like quad and hip flexor heavy. So they're, and if they're not doing a strength program, that that's another issue, but there's just no focus on evening out the compensations and asymmetries of the body. Well, so a, that's the main problem. <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny you, you brought that up because, Andrew, because I was listening to 1260, that's like our AM or whatever, sports radio, and mm -hmm. they were talking about basically this exact subject with baseball, and a lot of the American baseball teams, obviously they're pro, they're, when they're scouting Canadian players, they're like asking their coaches, like, what sports do they play? Were they good at hockey growing up? So they were asking those questions because, like, especially with hockey and baseball, those are, and baseball particularly, it's a repetitive motion sport. 
so they were asking that. So it's kind of cool to see that that's bleeding over into some of the, the money-making aspects of it, because I think that that starts the top-down approach of making it important. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And if the pro organizations and the Olympic organizations, the top level, start, like you said, yeah. top-down looking back at these sort of things, then maybe it'll get into the, the coaches' heads and the parents' heads that these players need to be more diverse. Because I think the problem, and you would know this better than I would, is the lower level coaches are incentivized and the, I guess the talent scouts and the people who are pushing for the showcases and more and more and more from the young athletes, they're the people who are incentivized to benefit from the kids showcasing more of their single sport. It's not in the kids' best interest, but those people are then telling the parents in order to get your kid on this level, on this team, on this all-star team, into this program, they need to go to the showcase. They need to do this camp. They need to continue to do the one sport. So what's been your experience? Is that true? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you you nailed it. I mean, a lot of kids I work with are like elementary and middle school, and they're all playing travel soccer. And I, I educate their parents, and I'm like, hey, like, just from a physical standpoint, they need to be learning other motor skills. And, like, if they're soccer players, maybe do, like, softball and get some, like, upper body motor skills and, like, learn how to use your arms so that you can sprint faster and, like, realize you have arms. Like, it's just – it's insane. But, like, what the, a lot of them will respond to me is, well, soccer is year-round. We, we just don't have time to do another sport. And that's like, that's the biggest problem is like, whether it's soccer or baseball is even worse, like hockey, like these are all year round now. So parents are like, oh my gosh, like it's going to be too much for our kid. And, and it is like, I have girls playing soccer and lacrosse in the same season. And that also has its own problem. So they're so similar, yeah. aren't they? With the way that they move. Right. When they're on the yeah. Field. Yeah. So, so it's, my but, girls are going to want to play another sport. I would recommend something that's like com has different movements than soccer. So like softball, gymnastics, snowboarding, like stuff like off the beaten path, because I've had players do soccer and lacrosse in the same season and get stress fractures. Well, it that, makes that, sense with all the running. Well, I was going to say that. So you talk about stress fractures, but this is, I don't, I don't know the exact stat on it, but since like artificial turf came in, they, it's consistent, right? Like with at least with grass, it's softer and there's like inconsistencies, which follows that model of not specializing. There's been a lot more injuries, especially ACL injuries with the turf because yeah. you're using the same surface over and over again. And then they can do stuff like play multiple sports on it. And it's, they don't get that um, exposure to, I guess, variability. In yeah. What they use for their, their gate mechanics. I know yeah. uh, two, two thoughts. One is with the turf. I know at the, like a major league baseball level, like the, we're in Canada, obviously. So, we mostly hear about the Blue Jays and the, and the Sky Dome now, I guess, what, what is it, was it Rogers Place? I think. I think it's Rogers Place. Yeah, Rogers yeah. Place. So it had turf for a long time. And a lot of times the players just didn't want to play there because they knew that their, the life of their knees was going to be shorter playing on turf. So there's been a bit of pressure, at least at these high levels, not to have turf in these things. Now, going back to the whole thing about different sports, I, don't, I work with some athletes, some young athletes, not a lot. I certainly don't market or specialize myself in it the way you do. But what I always say to them and their parents is, I treat their lifting in the gym as another sport. And I like to put it that way because you're getting a very robust and different uh, type of stress on their bodies. And like you said, then you can focus on the things like, can you tell a little bit more about some of the training tools, some of the, the exercises, the things that you do with your athletes to get them stronger and more resilient? Yeah, sure. So it, it's going to look similar to 
other team sports, but I, I break it down into um, the play phase. So like there, we have like elementary schoolers coming in and we're just doing stuff that you would see in like a 1990s gym class. Like we were playing, um, I don't know what's called like jackpot the other day, dodgeball, capture the flag. So it's a lot of like task oriented games, but within those games, they're getting all the motor skills you need. So like balancing, rolling, dodging, jumping, running, whatever it may be, and just making sure they have fun. Um, and then like the next phase is more like coordination stability sets, the middle schoolers. And we're working a lot on like skipping and all planes of motion, crawling in all planes of motion, balance, static, dynamic, and then just like body weight strength movements. So can they lunge? Can they hold a split squat, push-ups, pull-ups? We'll use the TRX. And then high school and college is more the performance phase. And that's going to look like any other team sport athletes. So we're doing deadlifts, pull-ups, push-ups, lunges, squats, all the, all the same that everyone else is doing, speed training, acceleration work. So um, it's pretty simple, but all those age groups need to have different training. I've seen people train elementary schoolers the way they train professional athletes. Um, and they're like right next door to my facility. And it's, it's uh, makes me cringe sometimes. <laughs> There's an embedded question in there and you sort of answered it, but I was hoping for something explicit. And I thought about it. a lot of times parents, it's a very common question I'll get with parents is what age should kids start or can they start quote, lifting weights. And you gave a more nuanced answer in graduating them into body weight stuff. And one of the things that I like to say before I'll get your take on it is a lot of these sports involve resistance, especially if kids are playing things like football, right? Yeah. So it's not, my philosophy is, is it's not like, you know, you give a 10-year-old, a you know, a, a lightweight and teach them a basic squat pattern, maybe with a dumbbell goblet, and all of a sudden, oh my God, they're going to stop growing or it's going to fuck with the growth plates. They're exposed to resistance. Now, mind you, do I want to max out one rep? Max, max a 10 Why year 11-year-old kid. That shit's stupid. Right? So <laughs> what, what's your take on all that? Yeah, no, I, to I totally agree with that. Um, as far as strength training, um, I mean, as soon as possible. So, but that could mean like uh, elementary schoolers like jumping from a tree and absorbing mm -hmm. force yeah. or um, like holding themselves up and doing like wheelbarrow. So like the younger ages, elementary and middle school, as soon as possible, get them moving. But I'll have middle schoolers who have been training for a couple years and we mastered like stability and coordination, all the body weight stuff. And now they're deadlifting over 135 pounds. Mm -hmm. So it, it has to be a gradual process and it has to be with like kids who are willing to stick with a consistent plan to be able to work up to heavier weights and it obviously has to be monitored by a strength and conditioning professional when you mentioned one thing in here too that i actually wanted to touch on um like you said play and games and all these things but the world again we're i'm 32 you're 40 how old are you how old are you 30 yeah so like when we grew up like we didn't have fucking tons of video <laughs> games and facebook and youtube and fucking ipads um so we got a lot of the play I guess organically by fucking going outside and doing shit, and yep. like I, I've I've had young athletes too, and it's it's like they don't know how to do some of the basic motors. So you almost have to, as a strength coach, replace the need, or I guess be responsible for doing the play stuff and building those, I guess motor patterns because they're not necessarily getting them, and that's not the same for everyone, but it's not as prevalent that they are doing a lot of that stuff on their own. Do you find that not. at all? 
Yeah, I mean, it's I, I say this to every conversation I have, but it's crazy I exist for the elementary school ages. Like, as much as I love working with the munchkins, that's what I call them, <laughs> um, it's, it's like crazy I exist because I'm basically simulating what they should be getting on, on the playground. But for whatever reason, they're not getting out there. They're not playing flag football in the neighborhood or hide and seek or capture the five, whatever it may be. Um, so it, yeah, it's crazy that I have to set this up, but like nowadays that's just the world and I'm glad I'm able to help them with these motor skills that they're not getting. Actually, I'll, I'll kind of answer that one. And I mean, I'm a big advocate of reading everything you can get my hands on. And while this book tends to get into like some, like some social type issues, but the coddling of the American mind is actually a really good breakdown of what has changed in the last, well, shit, 20, 30 years with the way that kids are now, the way parents treat them versus the way that I, my generation certainly grew up. I think it's changed a little bit. You guys probably were closer to it, but yeah. so I grew up in a small rural Newfoundland town. So we ran around free. I was a free range child. We were in the woods playing guns with <laughs> things that looked like replica AK-47. We literally, had, that doesn't exist anymore. And when I explain this, <clears throat> it'll explain everything. When I was a kid, and we were running around the neighborhood. No guns. one thought anything of it. What happens now if you see a six-year-old out by it's by themselves? What do you think? With a gun. <laughs> forget the gun. <laughs> forget even the gun. But you've got a six-year-old yeah. loose in a community bigger than a, 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 a hamlet that yeah. is on its own. What do you immediately think? I think like it's bad. Yes. Yeah, like a lot of people, yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought this up because a lot of parents, I'll tell them, like, get your kid out in the neighborhood, and they're like, they're going to get hurt. And I'm like, that's the that? point. Like, they're supposed <laughs> to, like, learn yeah. how to like, deal with different social situations. Well, and physical situations. <laughs> like, that's what Capture the Flag was and stuff. Like, I didn't learn how to juke and jive and stuff. I did it because I needed to get the fucking flag back. Well, there's, you know? yeah. there's, a, there's a whole bunch of other elements of this, too. I mean, you can get it yeah. <laughs> Kids are like, everything's disinfected and no kids are eating dirt anymore. We played in the woods in the dirt and you get exposed to stuff. So like all the kids nowadays are allergic to fucking everything. I'm, I'm allergic well, to there's, nothing. There's that. But like, even if we draw it back to the sports stuff, like I've ran camps with kids, but like they can't even march. And like you play these games and like they yeah. suck at these games. So like, and like that does, I know it doesn't transfer over to sport at, like it doesn't, it doesn't because. I say that they sucked at marching and they had no mechanics, but then on the basketball court, they were fucking sick. But it's just that whole idea of like, what is the cost and like, what's the risk of that? The risk is like that they have no ability to adapt to something new. So if something weird happened in the basketball game, that's where that injury happens because they fucking don't have any movement capabilities outside of like the strict structure of the sport. Now let's go back. Which to, is play. Let's go back to the, my original point, and then we can let Erica. We haven't, even, we haven't even hit our script for anyone that's talking. We haven't okay. This is better. <laughs> when, when you see like a six and seven year old kid running around by themselves, a lot of people's immediate thought is, "Well, fuck, where's the parents? Go call the cops." That kind of shit, right? And that's right. That's even drilled into like a brain like mine, even though I grew up differently, and I, and I know how ridiculous that sounds, but we're so conditioned now that oh, like the child's going to get kidnapped or something horrible is going to happen, even though statistically that shit is ultra rare but that's the way society is so parents are terrified to let their kids <clears throat> run around unsupervised both because they're afraid they're going to get hurt like you said and also because they're afraid that someone's going to call the fucking cops on them and lose their kids yeah society's changed and uh, that results in kids 
not having that freedom to run around on the playground. And another consequence of it is they're not free to learn to resolve conflict and interact with other kids. And that's one of the other themes in the book. And then you have this generation of kids growing up that, well, they don't, this is ideological. I want to be very careful wandering into stuff, but they're not comfortable with hearing ideas that conflict with the things that they want to hear. And then when well, that goes into, into coaching, that then, is coaching. Yeah. And then you get offended by everything, but that's an entirely different thing. I want to go to that stuff. Yep. It's, I, I'm re- I am really glad you brought this up again. I think we, as coaches, we always push the physical, like, yeah, we all got to learn motor skills and, and get better for our sport and build better humans. But at the same time, the more kids can free play, the better their brain's going to develop, especially through the right brain. Mm -hmm. So they're able to problem solve. They're able to handle certain situations. And then even going deeper, the whole anxiety and depression epidemic right now with young athletes, I found the kids who free play and who are bogged down by year round sports are the happiest and the most joyful. I agree. I think there's a very and they're probably the best athletes. Like we used to play. So I, I played university football up here, um, and and for for like our off day or like a reward, I guess we would play soccer. So like we would cut the football field into three, and we'd have like this big tournament and stuff. But the the best players generally were better at soccer, even though like when none of us played soccer, you could see the people who didn't specialize and who actually like played games and had that will. To, to play and, and learn other models of other games because that spatial awareness helps with all that stuff. But you could you could pick it out easily, like the top ten people on that team based on how they played soccer, and like that's a different model than what we're doing with football. But it's still it's still applicable. How much did you get of that? Yeah. Okay. Should figure it out. Yeah. Actually, but you, mean, you you know what I mean? Like that's what that's where like it, I don't know. It matters. Like and it, it's that's n equals one. Like I know that's hard to study, but. Like the best kids are usually the best at a lot of shit. One more thing I wanted to um, ask you about when it came to physical stuff, and then we got some other cool questions. Um, landing mechanics, cutting mechanics, because we didn't mention that yet. And I'm of the impression that's probably one of the most important things to be able to teach young athletes to prevent injuries. So what's going on there? Yeah. Um, so for the middle and high schoolers, especially, we're way more detailed when it comes to this. Um, so obviously teaching like bilateral landings and then getting some more height, doing it vertically, horizontally, and then going to single leg. Um, so we try to teach the form the best we can and being able to land and load like the midfoot to the heel and not land on their toes. Otherwise their knees are totally unstable and being able to recruit their hamstrings and glutes. Um, obviously sports aren't perfect and no landing's going to be perfect and you're not going to be in perfect form. But in the gym, we try to minimize the risk by doing perfect form. And I guess it's not that much different than positive, like reinforcing good form on, on a squat or any other fundamental movement pattern. Yep. You drill it, drill it, drill it. It starts to become more automatic when they're not thinking yep. about it on the field. I guess that's the goal, right? Yeah, that's the goal. And it's like teaching like um, a soccer player how to strike the ball properly. Like not every shot on goal is going to be perfect or with the laces of their foot. But the more you train that, the more muscle memory there is and they're more likely to get it consistently. So, yeah, it's absolutely the same thing with teaching landing mechanics, acceleration, deceleration and changing direction. Well, And that was the other thing is like 
if you take a needs analysis of like, I guess the state of what we're in is what you're talking about. Like now we're at this point, like without, and I hate to bring this back to play, but like if you talk about play and unstructured stuff, they're getting a lot of landing repetitions. But if they're not getting that, whose job is it to teach them that? And I would say a lot of that times, if they don't have that, it is on the strength coach because you're the one who yeah. sees them. And if you know that that's a problem, not doing it would, I don't know, possibly be wrong. Like I, I just think that it should fall on the person who has the ability to do it if they're not getting it on their own. You know yeah. what I mean? It yeah. should be taught in their sport for sure, but at least you serve as a fail-safe to make sure it's covered, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. So let's go and see as we're talking about young athletes, uh, you wrote a recent article and I believe it was titled exactly helping youth athletes with social media distractions. Yeah. So this sounds yep. kind of interesting. And I have a feeling this will this ties be in. kind of relevant to everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pursuit of fitness and, and certainly for us working in fitness too. So what, what were you thinking? What's important when it comes to social media, both to make the athletes better at their sports and to make people people into better humans. Yep. So th this post was inspired. I was up at Johns Hopkins the other week and I was watching a male soccer player run sprints on the field, but it took him like almost an hour to finish when it could have taken him 10 minutes. He was plopping down and looking at his phone, scrolling, then he would run a sprint, then he would go back to his phone, run a sprint. And I was like, this kid could have finished this in less than 10 minutes. So that, that inspired my post just because I see now young athletes are losing their focus on what's important. So whether that's um, their, their gym training or even just like their mental training or their sleep, Instagram's not helping, TikTok's not helping, and it's, it's kind of deterring them from what they really want to accomplish um, but I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some great accounts to follow for like training and mental health and nutrition, but I don't think most kids are following those <laughs> accounts. Most kids are following Kendall Jenner's like beauty advice, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> it was, is that what that kid was doing? That like young male soccer player, he was checking out makeup tips and doing this probably, <laughs> but like, you know, what's funny, like you say that and like the, the main hack that I've gotten to get around it, cause I'm going to go on my phone anyways, this is like time set or time time breaks which is like super old school like you need to have this much time but but only for the reason that i'm not going to stay on social media for longer than that two minutes going i still have to do my set even though i still <laughs> go on my phone that's my way around it but if i didn't have that like i would probably take double the time to do my workouts and it's made a huge yeah. difference in the last like half a year is my workouts are half, like they're an hour now not fucking two hours yeah. i think yeah. like i actually agree with what Dean said and i'll sort of create a differentiation here. I think when it comes to a lot of athletic training and, and sports stuff, I, I think focus is essential. And I yeah. don't think that any of the social media stuff is going to be helpful to the distraction. I think it's a very different conversation in the gyms. You see a lot of these purists who say very negative things about someone sitting on a bench on their phone between sets. Guess what? You need to take a certain amount of time between sets. <clears throat> this yeah. is your, yeah. you know, energy systems, you know, like it's, it's human physiology. You know, yes. if that person takes 13 seconds and goes and does another heavy set of bench press, they're not ready. It's a different act. So I have no issue with it. And in fact, it's one of the ways that I'm able to get my, you know, social media, whatever that I do with my career done. I'll actually write stuff in between my sets. And I'm still careful about my pacing and getting my workouts in. I like taking longer workouts anyway. 
But then when I'm home in the evening or what I'm working or some of these other times, then I'm able to better focus on the other tasks that I want or to just relax. Plus it's gonna happen. Like, the, like <laughs> to, to leave, I'm not leaving my phone in the, in the locker room. So it's like, and even with these kids, like they probably get such anxiety if you take the phone away. But like, I don't know like what your thoughts on it, but like my, my, my thought was to like have time sets. It, it again, fixes that problem, knowing that that problem exists and it's probably not going away. It's like, how, I guess, how have you <laughs> dealt with that in what, you do because you see it every day and you see these kids walk, probably walk into the the training floor with their shit like their phone in hand they're probably not even looking up like how do you deal with that um well they're not allowed to bring their phones like onto the gym floor what yeah i agree with that i agree with that. i agree with that but it's just like do you yeah. not like get flacked yeah they're j i mean they're just not like we're like our workouts are very um, nervous system heavy like well yeah. we might be like doing like a speed run and then lifting on the same day so it's like a 90 minute to two hour workout and people really need to focus in on what we're doing otherwise they're not going to be getting better and I I want them to almost feel like the gym is also an escape from like all the distraction and like you're just here you're hanging out with like your friends you're getting better with your teammates and that's what it is and then when you leave you, you can go back on your phone and, and do whatever, but when you're in the gym, you got to be dialed in. Do you ever get any of them that want to play Fortnite in front of you? We talked no, about this, no. too. I think I, – I, I know we talked about the Christian, but we talked yeah. – I, I heard Cal Deeds talk about this, but, like – and I brought this up, like, probably, like, three times. It's, like, he could tell with hockey players – the ones that were going to take the next jump to the next level based on, well, their HRV scores, which Omega Wave, so DC potential, but based yeah. on how much Fortnite they played the night previous. So if they, like, if there was a pattern, the people mm -hmm. who played Fortnite more were going to get less out of the training because their DC, DC potential just tanked. Yeah. So like, but that's that, let's call it Fortnite, but that could be Instagram at 12 p.m. because you're like anxious about like is this post going to get enough likes and all this it's the same fucking system half the time that's that, that's some yeah. crazy stuff to even imagine is relevant and, and, and like cal up. and cal's a smart guy so like i mean like everything cal says isn't the word but like no one else is doing this testing and he's a psychopath and says that he's gonna test like omega wave the nights after and like have a subjective test about did you play fortnite and it's, it's interesting because I do take stock in that because that is the reality we're in. And that's something that's probably not going to be tested at the scientific oh, level. And the other thing, and you said this earlier, is your sleep, right? I mean, oh, we lost, I uh, know we got to get unstable internet connection. I think we're okay. Yeah, we're good. Oh, there we go. uh, you got kids up late playing video games or on Instagram. And that's messing, like they're getting blue light and that's interfering yeah. with both their, their duration of sleep and their quality of sleep. And then that's mm -hmm. going to affect them because they're not recovering as much because you're getting all that micro tearing, micro trauma on connective tissue from their sport, from any resistance training. And if they're deficient in sleep, which seems to be more and more of a problem now with kids, and I, I don't know how much you've gotten into this, uh, I'll get your thoughts, but there seems to be some pretty good research, that especially teenagers, they're not even suited to a sleep rhythm that gets them up really early. And if you've got athletes who are getting up, like swimmers, getting up, for 5 a.m., 6 a.m., or hockey players who got to get a practice in before they're even going to school. You compound that with blue light and all this other sort of shit, and their sleep quality and duration is probably garbage. And I'm expecting that the performance is going to suffer and they're going to suffer more injuries. So, are you encountering any of this stuff? Yeah, I mean, so every week we check in with daily habits and what people need to improve on, and sleep is one of them. 
and there, there are some kids who do a really great job and they, they read before bed and they don't even have their phone and they're getting like seven to eight hours of like quality sleep a night. And then there's kids that are getting like three or four hours of sleep a night. And instead of telling them what to do because they know that sleep is good for them, I just ask them questions and try to just get them to change their behavior. So I'll ask, well, how much sleep will make you feel at your best? And then have them answer that question. And why do you feel at your best? And what are your goals? Where do you want to go? Like, do you feel good in training? So it's just been an ongoing process of asking questions just to slowly shift behavior because the, the phones are such a part of their lives. Like it's, it's just like something that's not going to happen overnight. And for me, like telling them what to do and like being like their mother, like they don't listen to their mom. Like, <laughs> so I don't want to like act like their, their mom, like. Do you see the difference? Like, do you, like knowing that there's like this kid that reads before bed without his phone, their phone, which is awesome. Um, and the child who doesn't like, do you see differences in, I, I want to say performance, but I guess their focus and all the things we're talking about. Like, can you as a coach distinguish that based on their stuff in the gym? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I had a girl in yesterday who she's like my like bedtime reader and hmm. she she had like so many exams and so much homework. So she should have been like drained, but she was dialed in the whole workout. And I was like, well, probably because she got like quality sleep. Like, <laughs> well, that's why I don't want to make big jumps because like usually it's a simple story. Sleep's bad or good and blue light's bad. And, and the research is there mechanistically, but it's nice to talk to coaches who see it day in and day out because I feel like that's an expert opinion that matters as opposed to what the studies say because you can see it and like you know yeah. the, the cost and analysis of this whole thing but for you to see it is huge to even I guess identify the people listening that this shit does matter because at the level you're at you're seeing it which you can then stack where that where they fall short which would be in their sport or in their performance and in their scholarship, the ability to get a scholarship, a real pro or whatever. Well, Eric yeah. said something there, and the, uh, I read a book called The Upside of Stress by Kelly McGonigal, and actually it's a fantastic book, and it sort of dispels this myth that all stress is bad, mm -hmm. and it's more about people actually live longer and they're happier if there's stress in their life, but if they're in a position where they have the tools, the mental state, um, and they've developed the skills to deal with and manage that stress, mm -hmm. so they being challenged by things like you said homework and exams my guess is this kid it's probably a by like the the fact that she's really responsible about reading at the end is probably a byproduct of the fact she's developed some skills as she's grown up to mm -hmm. prioritize study put her heart into her sport yep. you know, and that she feels confident that her ability to study will mean that she'll do well on her exams so she's able to manage that stress she feels in control of the stressors and yeah probably turns around and shows itself on the field too. Do you, do you think maybe that's a little bit of it as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like physically and mentally, our bodies and minds need stress to be able to adapt. Um, so you nailed it. It's all about being able to manage that stress. And that's, that's something I can't really teach people. They have to find it for themselves and figure out how they're going to balance it and optimize their recovery and um, not let it get to them. So yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. How much of this fall, and this is like, I don't even know if this blows, but how much of this falls on the parent or I guess you educating the parents on this stuff? Because like, 
to, to trust a child, and maybe females are better at this, but to trust a fucking 15 year old male to do some of these things, it ain't gonna happen. So like, where does that portion of the equation fit in? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, parents play a huge role because they see their kid the most. Like I see their kid maybe at most six hours a week, and then outside of that, it's like they're either in school or they're at home with their family. So like, uh, I mean, nutrition is a big one. Like I'll have parents be like, hey, like my kid needs to eat healthier. Can you like talk to them? And I'm like, what do you want me to tell them that like they don't already know or can Google? Like we all know that a, a hamburger is not as great as eating like chicken and like asparagus and like a bowl of veggies. What Like we all know that, but like, then I'll ask them, well, what's in your pantry in your household? Uh, Oreos, Cheetos. Okay, well, that's problem number one. So the onus is absolutely My on pantry. pantry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not an athlete anymore. I'm getting bigger. But I was like, is she like looking in my pantry? Like I literally have bags of Cheetos and Oreos. <laughs> Eric, continue with what you were saying before he so rudely interrupted you. I was like, you're reading my mind. Let's no, let, let her finish the fucking I answer. She, you she finish. wasn't finished. No, oh, I cut her off. I cut you yeah. off. So, I mean, no, there's nothing wrong with Oreos. But if that's if you only have that in your pantry and you're not putting nutrients into your body as a youth athlete who needs the fuel, that's not good. <laughs> and that definitely that responsibility is on parents. Cause I, you're not going to hire your strength coach like me to come to your house and stock your pantry. Do like, do you really want to do that? <laughs> you, should you should start that. Like, I, I saw on like, was this in, we don't have the, the States. Time. We don't have the time to do that. What was the problem. weight loss show? Um, there was like a weight loss show where they would, like they, they would do that. Like the trainer would, it was, it was a Canadian one. The guy that actually works out here. Um, anyways, you'd go in their house and like, yeah, take out everything from their, maybe that you should start charging for that. Like that's like hundred bucks right. a, a visit. Like, whatever an it hour of your time like, um, do you guys have uber it should be like yeah, an uber yeah. eat for like youth athletes or something <laughs> see like, maybe well, like a, like here might be a more practical idea and, and erica <laughs> if you like it run with it but actually develop sort of a pdf guide for parents as to you know to what the stock in the pantry yeah. and the fridge and have available for the kids right well because like another thing too that whole like we'll talk about nutrition because like I, I like that shit um when I think Ben House wrote about this, but like with parents, like let's say you're trying to lose weight and you're on a diet, if your kids like start to un like think of things as diets and like trying to lose fat, it's actually a negative to them as opposed to changing environmental cues, like having yeah. more stuff available because then they start attaching food with weight loss or weight gain. And that's not what we're trying to do at that age because then that's yeah. the manifestation of eating disorder. So like that's why I think a PDF, like you're saying, would be good, but. You're talking about just making environmental changes so that they can just be kids and eat, but then they're not exposed. To, a kid's gonna pick an Oreo over a carrot any day of the week. I don't care who the fuck you are, unless like they have that lesson learned. You know, here's probably a really important question that we didn't even think about, but Erica, you're gonna. My guess is it's relevant. Is you're dealing primarily with female athletes, right? Yeah. Okay. So how about the added pressures to be thin? The things that. I think young women growing up probably deal with more than men do. So how does that come into play? And do you see it? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So last last weekend, I was at a soccer convention in Baltimore, and I was sat in on a classroom session about body image, and female was not attached to it. And I was like, now this is interesting. And the woman who was speaking had all these studies and stats and said, body image and eating disorders is just as much for males as it is females. So it's it's important that we're aware of that for both populations. Um, just because like with athletes in general, like there is pressure to perform. Like um, male athletes want a six pack or they want to be bigger and more powerful. So like that can like open a whole can of worms as far as eating disorders. And then female athletes like sprinters and, and runners, like they, they might be told to become thinner. So like there's so many problems for both populations and um, her whole point was every coach has the opportunity to impact their athletes and their food behaviors. So when you're talking about nutrition, focus on like it as fuel for their body to perform their sport and to have energy to live and be motivated and focus on the foods that do that for you. And I really like that perspective because it doesn't focus on diet or losing weight or like getting cert certain like sprint times. Um, so that was like a really good perspective, but I was really surprised at the male stats as well. Well, it just doesn't incentivize, I'm not going to say negative behavior, but behavior that could lead to a problem. And like not that dieting is bad. Like you need to lose fat, you need to lose fat if it's going to help. But to frame it in a way where like dieting is better, like losing weight is better is where you kind of, you incentivize that when you use that type of language as opposed to performance. Like a lot of it will regulate itself out if you teach decent stuff to kids. Which yeah. Is like, which is, I guess, the coach, like if you have access to them six hours a week, that's a huge thing because they'll look to you as someone especially you've talked about like trainers looking good and being good in the gym and their performance but if you're that role model you do have an impact because they see you and yeah probably want to be you in a lot of cases yeah and um i can give like a few examples of like how we deal with that in the gym so like during like my transitions between session and athletes are coming in to warm up like i have to eat so i am like fueling up with like rice and veggies and protein. I, I like eat in front of my athletes be before we start the session. I'm like, guys, like I like need to fuel. Like I've been working all day. And like that alone is like, oh my gosh, like Erica like really needs to eat. She needs the energy to coach. I need that to perform. And then another example is like every like couple weeks, I'll bring like a new protein bar or like a snack that they can like eat between tournament games or at school and tell them, hey, like guys, these are like some healthy snacks you can have on the go with your busy schedules and just kind of educate them on what kind of snacks are good, like certain clip bars, protein bars, energy bars, that kind of stuff. So like putting that behavior change in front of them. You actually hit on something that I end up doing. So I don't, I mean, it depends on the facility you're in, but I don't eat solid meals in between sessions on the floor. If I have an hour break, I'll go do it. But I'll usually always blend up with my breakfast a couple of smoothies. So I have these very professional looking smoothie containers. And any client that I've ever worked with has seen me drinking these things during sessions and always make a point about it. It's like, this is part of me get, getting the fuel that I need. You know, it, it still has a certain amount of calories. Smoothies are not just, wow, that's health food. Therefore, it has this magical health halo. Drink this and you lose weight. No, these things are easily 500 calories per, and I drink two a day. 
And then he sells them a discount code after. No way. <laughs> Hell no. But uh, and I, they are perfect. Like he actually, so he says they're professional looking. Like, they're actually the nicest movie. Like they're like stainless steel. Yeah. Like they actually look good. Like he's like, wow, that that. And usually he like over exaggerates. Like they actually look the coolest looking. And then movie. one of my clients snuck in one day and put a giant's milk sticker on one of them, and it still is there. So if anyone's oh, a Game wow. of Thrones fan, he doesn't wash it. So like, I, I wash them all the time. Sticker doesn't come up. But uh, anyway, people think I look like Tormund. So if you're Game of Thrones fan, <laughs> then uh, that one sort of stuck a little bit. But I thought, okay, that's pretty funny. But bottom line is we have an opportunity, like you just described, to be role, positive role models in nutrition. And I use this fuel that I need as a talking point with clients to actually show them good nutritional behavior. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's everything because they're watching you. They're watching everything you do. Let's, 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 let's bump that. Okay. So like we, for anyone listening, like we always, we try to get through a script, but like, I think that we have something that's like, we don't always bring it up, but I think it's a, it's a good one to bring up with you, but um, you can kind of notice anyone who looks at the strength conditioning world, that there's like a contrast number between male coaches and females. And there are clearly a number of things going on here, but we want to get your opinion. Why do you think this happens? And do you feel female coaches tend to veer into other fitness spaces as opposed to strength and conditioning because of the atmosphere? Yeah, that's a that's a really loaded question and super loaded. <laughs> and I think there there's several reasons for this, but the the main one like as far as not really entering the coaching space is like how can they build a life? Like how can they become financially secure and like have a family at the same time? Oh. I think that's like the biggest pressure on women is is the money part and just like is there even a balance in this life and then they they might just be looking at the industry like wow like there's a lot of men in here like maybe, maybe they're intimidated or maybe they have imposter syndrome and feel like they can't be capable of coaching which is so far from the truth because i know so many amazing female coaches in strength and conditioning and soccer coaches and they're like badass and they coach like male athletes and boys and like they're killing it and like it doesn't matter what what you are if you can coach you can coach it's not like males and females can be intelligent and can help clients and can coach people and can make people stronger it, like doesn't matter who you are like <laughs> just like any other field get your education get your experience and go crush it is it was it pro baseball that hired the first female strength conditioning coach? I don't know which team it was, but was, yeah, was it? yeah, yeah. Which is like sweet, and I hope they didn't do that as like a publicity stunt. Like I think like that type of thing is the kind of thing that needs to happen so that it looks like a possibility. Not that it's not a possibility, but I think if you think it's not, that idea of money and career and stuff does come into question because like to get if if it's so hard to get to the top of the road or whatever you want to call it. Like it's gonna deter people, and especially females, from doing it because maybe, maybe I'm mistaken on this, but isn't there a female strength coach with one of the, in the super? I think it's 49. I don't know if yeah. she's a strength. I think she's actually a special teams coach. Yeah, she's actually a coach coach. Yeah, yeah. Actually, which is like two stories in like last the in the last like two months, like, which is fucking awesome. So I don't think um so the the baseball one you're talking about, Rachel. So I don't think they hired her as a publicity thing because there's this whole article on how she got hired and she applied and her resume said Rachel 
and no one called her back. And then she changed it to more of a male name, I think oh, Ray, God. and got a call back. Ooh. Which is like, like, I guess that's a that's a good story to highlight the bullshit that goes on. It is, but like, yeah. It, but like, that's the sort of shit that makes it like even the idea of that story is the reason why like that fucking contrast exists. Yeah. And so, so what's the rest of the story? You know, like, because I, I don't, I don't know this. I, I know the article. I just, um, I just know that part. But like, I know she's she's super sharp. She's super smart, and she's amazing at what she does. And she's been doing it for a while. So clearly, she's she's successful um yeah i've heard nothing but great things about her yeah so one of the thoughts i had perhaps when it came to more the mainstream fitness industry uh because this question sort of originated because you're in baltimore we've had our friend savon fagan on recently and savon is very much in the space of i hey i want to show people and women you know how to strength train i'm a female coach i'll i'll train men you know she she does not give a shit about any of this sort of stuff but yeah. she's also not interested in being drawn off into some of the other fitness spaces. For example, we use it sort of as a dirty word, but the fitness influencer or a lot of times some of the very capable and sometimes some very non-capable people, they can go a route where they grow a following more aggressively by perhaps sexualizing their, their image. You feel like maybe some of the people who would actually make very, very credible strength coaches are, and you made the comment about financial stability are drawn into what they feel like is an easier route or a, a road that is more well-trodden for women like themselves? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I, I mean, I, first off, I think Savon does a really great job at, at what she does and her message is very clear and it's, it's all about women just owning their bodies and becoming strong and just, being okay with who they are, uh, no matter what shape you are. Um, but as far as like the influencers, you know, I used to let them bother me, but now like, I just don't really care because like sometimes like me, people are inspired by that. Like some people are, and that's okay. Like if that like gets someone to like move more than they already do, that's really great and like i'm i'm trying not to judge influencers as much um and then as far as women and sexuality like with the audience like i'm trying to reach probably not a good idea because i work with kids and i don't need to do that because mine's more based on performance and, and science and um all that stuff but if i was trying to reach like college girls like maybe I, I would change my my way of doing things so I guess it really is case by case and it depends on what you're trying to do like I don't want to say there's like a right or wrong here yeah. um, and I don't want to like pass judgment but um, as you long as someone's that. inspiring someone to move and be healthier then I can't really hold it against them we, we've made fun of it we, we still make fun of it but I, we also highlight the other point that like that's the rules of the game a lot of yeah. us are in and you can choose to play by or not but some of the people that go to we'll call it dark side like that's the inroad to success a lot of times as, as much as that might be piss other people off and probably pisses yeah. us all off like that, that's a smart business decision a lot of times so, I mean, like, and then and that's the other side it's not good or bad it's just like like you have you have to be okay with I guess the morality of it all and if you're okay cool if you're not like that's the problem I'll look at this a yeah. little bit of a different way is, is I feel like, you know, when I get down to it, you know, 
it's hard to count a lot of people that we know <clears throat> who are uh, female coaches like you and Savan who are in the space you're in putting out information on getting people stronger and working with athletes, right? And there's a lot more women in other spaces. So yes. I guess it's just sort of like, how do we get more women to feel like, hey, I can do it this way, be credible and not have to take these roads that are more well-traveled. I think that's why what you and Savannah are doing. I think people like Joel Coleman is a really good person who's, yeah. who's been there before, but that's not a long list. And that's what my concern is. I, I would love to see that list be longer. Mm -hmm. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely better than it used to be. And I think um, there's some great new young female coaches coming into the industry who are inspired by like, like people like Jill Coleman and Savon and Rachel Cosgrove and, and Sohi and people who have been around for a while. So like, it's nice to have like that group of women, like setting the standard and being like, Hey, like you can like crush this. Like you can be authentic. You can make a living off of this and like, you can do amazing. So I think just, it's just going to be like a, a snowball effect and it's going to exponentially grow in the next decade for sure. That's what I'm hoping to see. So, and again, I, I both feel very strongly that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of someone who believes in, in people earn appearances, say on this podcast or anything else based on merit. But I also understand that glass ceilings don't come down by themselves. You also have to make an effort to go and find those great well, people. It is happening. Like, I, I, I we like, it's obviously, there's still big disconnect. Like, there's a lot of fucked up shit that goes on. But like, <laughs> like, but like, there is like, just even that baseball story, like that pisses me off, but they also yeah. did the right thing and hired the best person. And so like, yep. it's, it's, it's happening. It's just going to be so fucking slow. So, I mean, like anyone listening to this is like, just understanding that, that it's not even a problem. It's just the reality of that it, it is getting, I, it is getting better. We've had tons of female coaches on here that are fucking sick, but yeah. like that wouldn't, I don't know if 10 years ago that was normal. Even though it was normal for them to be sick, but to be recognized is like not a, it's like a thing that is happening now. And something else that we mentioned off the air, but you know, we didn't say it too, is there's a lot of women who are going into spaces that are very, very credible and respectable and valuable, but it's not necessarily putting the strength conditioning stuff first. You mentioned Sohi. Sohi does actually put out a lot of training stuff. Sohi primarily is in the nutrition and a lot of the psychological aspects of it. And she's doing great things. Jill Coleman, again, you get a lot of the strength stuff in there, fitness stuff, but she's talking, uh, you know, business mastery now more than ever. And she's yeah. doing a lot of other things to help people. Uh, look at someone like Kelly Coffey, who she's a personal trainer. We've had her on a couple of times and Kelly's a really wonderful person. But a lot of her stuff is geared towards fat loss and helping people who are dealing with addictions. So. I think women can often get pulled off into these things. That well, maybe I think anyone could. Like strengthening, strengthening conditioning at the college level. Like no, no one's making any money. So like that's not attractive to anyone. If you like, if that's a big goal, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, if you I deal with athletes. Another, another uh, can of worms to open in this whole thing. I mean, I love, I love talking about like pricing and yeah. making a living in our industry. And I'm sure you guys. Like athletes are the worst. <laughs> athletes and like teams are the fucking worst. Even though it's like the most fun, it's like that is like a love of the sport, so to speak. And like it, that is the reality, unless you kind of make that jump. And that jump is like, even the top spring coaches on the pro teams aren't making that much money. 
and not to mention they're also sometimes some of the first people that the, know, they get, get, get the act. There's no job security. Doesn't go well. I mean, it's like yeah. you want to talk about this. I'm going off tangent here, but the whole uh, Houston Astros cheating scandal in Everyone got baseball. Fired. The coaches got fired. The players, there's no consequence. They got immunity. But I think, Nothing. like, I think it was either Clemson or anyways, one of the Div One teams in football. And this was on a podcast I listened to. Like, they had a losing season, like worst season ever. Like. Everyone, all the strength staff got fucking like a, like they were the first people to go oh because like they're as much as they hold a huge responsibility in the eyes of like strength conditioning, they they also have the worst pay and they get fucked like it's horrible. And I think that again, that's why a lot of women are yeah. deterred from that path um, because also like you're working for the pros in college, you have no life. Like you have like a 5 a.m. lift then you're getting home at 8 p.m. Then you're on the road, like traveling to all these games. And it's like, and you're getting paid like 40 K a year. Like, no, no <laughs> one can be sane or make a living off of that. <laughs> I think it might've been Mike Reinhold, if I'm not mistaken. He was working for the Boston Red Sox a few years back and he's in our fitness industry space. And he's detailing, you know, the travel schedule and having to be on duty all this other stuff. And yeah, it was it's completely insane. We'll just say women are smarter. <laughs> like there's they don't want to get in that field because it's a dumb decision and like males are dumb. They're like, we'll be live on food stamps to have this job. Like that's a bad decision. You know, I think it, women just like think things through more. Like, I don't absolutely. Know. Is that what you meant to say? Absolutely. I like the smarter because it was like let's know. let's settle on that because that actually might be a a good explanation for some of this stuff. But either way, yeah. um, I my wife's way smarter than me. And like, would you would you say more practical? Absolutely. That's funny. <laughs> um, let's, let's hit it with the last one. Yeah. So uh, something that we've been doing for, for a very long time, we've been asking our guests, you know, what books they were reading. But we sort of took a, a shift of philosophy, and I like to talk to our guests about what they're doing to step away from their work and set boundaries between work and life. And as fitness professionals, we're fucking terrible at work life because our work is our life. But what are some of the things that you do to create time for yourself? relax and not let work get in the way i snowboard a lot nice <laughs> yeah i try i try to go as much as possible i have a season pass every year like it's one of those things where i feel like i can really escape from the grind and just go out into the mountains and like shred it and i know it's a, a pretty adrenaline and it's I have to focus a lot during it, but like it's like a nice focus and it's like relaxing for me. <laughs> Has it affected your training at all? And the reason why I ask is I used to snowboard tons until like I got college football and I was like it was too risky. And like I used to <laughs> park was is it is it does it fuck up your training that much? Because I might get back into it this year. Not not really. Like I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sore afterwards, but it's yeah. nothing I can't really handle. Um I, I'm not like bombing it the whole time. Sometimes I'll just chill and do like the easier slopes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, snowboarding's been a big one. And then um, Andrew, I love how you mentioned the word boundaries. Like that's like my new favorite word for year 2020. Um, so just like setting boundaries with people, like they can't contact me at 10 PM at night. I'm not going to respond. Um, I'm not going to respond to DMs right away, especially if it's a stupid question that you can Google yourself. So I might take a month to respond to you on that and I don't care. Um, I have a life. I got to take care of myself and I can't get back to everyone and that's okay. Like I'm only one woman. <laughs> so boundaries are key. So don't ask stupid questions too. It's probably from a male. 
<laughs> Sorry. We did, I, I want to come back to something really quick because we, we did miss a couple things we were hoping to talk about, but obviously we'll tell people how to find you in a second, but you've been writing a whole lot and part of think, something I've been doing is, and I'm getting a lot of attention for writing things. You and I were both featured on the Personal Trainer Development Center's year's best list of articles, which was a really cool honor. Congrats. And there's only 21 articles from the entire world for an entire year that made that list. So, so and you've been really prolific with your writing. So how have you managed to set aside time for writing in between all your other coaching commitments and still create time for yourself? Oh, the thing is, I, I don't see writing as an obligation. And I think that's what's really kept me consistent with it. Because I don't see churning out an article on something I'm passionate about as work. And usually I write most of my articles on the weekends when I'm not coaching just because my mind's clear and I didn't just come off of a session and I, I don't want to like go to bed. So like the weekends like are my creative time. Um, but of course there's going to be like weeks or months where I'm not producing as much content because I'm just so gassed from work and I just have to be like forgiving of myself that I'm not able to write as much as I want. And that's okay because I've done all, all this work for years. And if I'm off a month, it's, it's fine. But I think just really loving writing has helped a lot. That's good. That's actually something that was said in, I don't know if you've read, read books on this, but Kurt Vonnegut, I mean, Kurt is dead now, but one of his longtime students compiled a shit ton of his teachings on writing and one of the main lessons was you know, write things that you were interested in, that you're passionate about, and it is a lot easier. So you pretty much just yes. said the same thing. So for anyone who's interested, you're alive. <laughs> what? I said, but you're alive. So that's yeah. way better position. And Kurt is not. <laughs> that's, that's probably called the causation. <laughs> if writing kills you. <laughs> I think Kurt had some bad habits along the way, so. Drugs kill you. All right. Where do we find you on uh, online, on social media, if people want to learn more about you? My website is ericasuter.com, and you can find – I'm mainly active on Twitter and Instagram, and my username is fitsoccerqueen. It's super easy to remember. Awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real pleasure. Uh, once, I, once you started popping up more and more on my radar with all the writing stuff, I started – following a little bit closer and then of course obviously we you know linked up and communicate a little bit on social media but it was a real treat to have you on here really glad you're going to be you know welcome back especially if you got something big you are working on uh, you can always come back and chat with us and for anyone who's finding us for the first time and you're a follower of erica's then we've mentioned savon fagan a bunch uh, you know she's a good friend of all of ours and you might really enjoy what she's got to say she's very feisty to say the least very <laughs> intelligent and if you like that episode, you may find some other things in our library. Well, there's, I just had Michelle Boland on. She was a strength coach at for hockey for females. Similar, similar situation. So, and we actually talked about a lot of the same stuff. So it's perfect. Cool. So dive into that. And meanwhile, if you're one of our longtime listeners, guys, thanks again. And I really hope you'll actually put Erica on your radar. You'll go read the stuff she's writing because it's really good. She's getting recognized more and more for it. And especially if you're someone who's trying to write or create more of your own brand and get it out there. I, I read something recently where you basically just put your effort into that. Maybe it was a bit over a year ago and it's worked really well for you. So there's no better time to start than now. 
So guys, uh, get working on your own careers. And Erica, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you being here. Thank you, guys. This was a pleasure. Shut up and sit down.